2: Welcome, this is Wacky Wednesday here on the Arrowhead Attic channel. I'm Adam Best here as always with the golden voice of Sterling Holmes and producer Richard doing his thing behind the scenes. Sterling,
0: how you feeling? I'm feeling good. I will say everyone, get your peanuts ready. You know why I'm saying get your peanuts ready? We're bringing on a Broncos guest today and this is gonna be fun. You're gonna want something to uh, to chew on. I didn't have popcorn ready. I Only have those, so okay. it'll have to do.
2: Peanuts, I gotcha. Well, As Sterling said, we've got a packed show. We're going to have an old friend on to talk Broncos with us. And then we're going to discuss the future of Lajair Sneed. Just a magnificent game last week, right? One of his best ever. And then Sterling and I will hit the trading floor of the Kansas City stock market. But before then, a little bit of business.
0: So there is a new... Uh, offer that DraftKings is running, and quite frankly, if I didn't already sign up with DraftKings, this is the one that I would sign up for. New users can place a $5 first bet to instantly claim $200 in uh, bonus bets. You will also be rewarded with a separate no sweat single game parlay every single day when you opt in. All you have to do is sign up with our code Arrowhead. Using our code Arrowhead not only gets you these great bonuses, but it also directly supports our podcast. If you've ever been considering signing up for DraftKings, this is the time to do it using code Arrowhead to maximize those first bets and parlays. Offers available only to new customers who are 21 plus and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for the full terms of the offer to see if you qualify. It's
2: time to welcome our old friend, here to brief us on all things Broncos, Lou Scataglia from Predominantly Orange. Lou, great to have you on the show, man.
1: I feel very fortunate to be back in enemy territory.
2: Yeah, yeah. We had a good talk last time. We figured we'd bring you back. Uh, you, yeah. and uh And Thursday night, Thursday night. I, I got to be honest with you guys. I am not a fan of Thursday night football. I feel like the games oh, are I? almost always lousy. Injuries are up like 25%. I'm, I'm thinking, why don't we move this? I don't know if they can move it to Tuesday and get an extra day. There's something else they can do, but I hate Thursday night football. Are you with me, Lou?
1: Yeah, I have uh, I have strongly taken that stance for years now. I think the NFL, if they want to keep a, a weekday game, at least bump it to Friday or something. I just think, I don't know. Like Thursday night games, it's just... It's just icky to me, especially you know being a fan of a bad team. It's like okay, we lose on Sunday, and then I got to do it all over again four days later. So like I'm I'm not at all excited to watch this football game. Plus, it's eight fifteen p.m., so it's going to be past my bedtime.
2: The thing is, though, you never know with these divisional games. You never ever know. Yeah, maybe the
1: sixteenth loss in a row. Maybe that'll be it. Maybe we won't hit (laughs) sixteen. (laughs) Dude,
0: so. <laughs> I love Broncos fans right now. It's lasted like five Smile years. through the misery. dude. It's <laughs> all, it's all but, but
2: you guys have no Fs left to give. You are super honest. And that is that makes for great content. Speaking of content, we have six questions for you. So let's crack open that six-pack. We have to start with head coach Sean Payton. He talked all that smack during the summer. Kind of really broke an unwritten rule among the coaching fraternity i think it was not a good look and then the guy he talked all that smack on he lost to he lost to nathaniel hackett with zach wilson as hackett's start, starting uh, quarterback did Peyton's reputation take a hit
1: um probably a little i mean i don't really think sean payton is particularly liked by many coaches across the interval to begin with i think bounty Gate probably i mean i don't i don't say that sarcastic i think bounty Gate was probably like a really big point where, you know, coaches just don't really like Peyton. I mean, he's from the Parcells tree. He's really cutthroat. He's really direct. But I would argue that Sean Payton didn't lose to the Jets. I would argue Sean Payton lost to Brees Hall. You got to keep in mind, yes, I know we lost the game, but the Jets orchestrated one offensive touchdown drive against the second worst defense in NFL history. You know, I still think Sean Payton's a great coach. The Broncos' offense is right behind the Chiefs. We're tenth in points. Chiefs are ninth. So I have a, a I can go on for for hours about uh, why I think the Broncos are as bad as they are. Um, but I mean, yeah, Sean Payton's reputation probably took a little hit. I certainly think uh, he's not as likable as he was last year when he was retired on Fox Sports. I mean, a lot of Broncos fans are even starting to think like, "Oh, should we get rid of Sean Payton?" Is Sean Payton the guy? I think he is, but. This last week was it was just it was really hard to swallow. Do you think
0: there's anything to the coaches around the NFL trying to take a shot at Sean Payton, like McDaniels putting a 70 spot against the Broncos? Uh, You know, the postgame comments from Salah, just all the players, obviously with Nathaniel Hackett. But I think there is a little something to the head coaches coming together and saying, hey, we're fraternity right here. We don't ever rip on our own. It's tough enough to get here. Even if you did a bad job, we will give you your props and give you your flowers. Sean kind of broke the unwritten rule. Do you think some of the other head coaches around the NFL are trying to prove a point to Sean?
1: Yeah, because, I mean, the the Broncos are such a bad team now that for many opponents it's like the get right game it's like okay you had a bad loss go beat up on the Broncos and oh Sean Payton's there you know can make it just as sweeter so yeah I I would I would agree with with that assessment that that a lot of these head coaches are now probably looking at this Broncos game as like let's go beat the snot out of them because Sean Payton's there and he broke an unwritten rule um and it's I mean it's gonna be a painful next 12 games I think we might win just I have my schedule right above me I think we might win two or three of them at most and i'm honestly surprised that the miami dolphins didn't go for the uh, all-time scoring record i was watching the game here at home um, with my lovely girlfriend and i was i was telling her like i think they should do it i think they should do it and i was shocked that they they didn't if i was mike mcdaniel i would have i mean that's easy to say but at this point i think i think broncos fans i think we're kind of like in a way rooting Uh, for the losing. I'm not, but I get the sense that the fan base is kind of just like, we're over it. Like, we want a rebuild. We want a shot at Caleb Williams or Drake May. Um, I'm still in on Russ, but it's just, it's just, it's just a mess. It's a mess. And it's fun to talk about though, nonetheless. I I
2: don't know why they didn't go for that record. You know, with the bad blood or the ill will towards, publicly, towards Sean Payton right now, it gave them a ready-made excuse to run up the score. Generally, coaches don't do that. Our own coach, Andy Reid, doesn't really like to run up the score. I wish he would Wish he would do it a little bit more than he does, but that's the way it is.
1: Yeah, I, I think they should have. I was rooting for it, but 70 points is still 70 points. It's still <laughs>
0: pathetic nonetheless. I will always say, I think it was more disrespectful to not saying, we have a chance and we're actually going to not do this. We was like you felt bad for us. We, yeah, we could.
1: Mind but, you, Mike McDaniel was a Broncos ball boy back in yeah. the day. Oh, yeah. So we touched, we touched. we're not only losing to teams, we're losing to former head coaches, Vic Fangio, Mike McDaniel, Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, it's just it's bad. It's just really bad. Uh, ESPN's Dan Grisania reports
0: that Denver is listening to offers for receivers, Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. Any chance either of those guys get moved maybe to try and clear a path for the uh, the rookie Marvin Mims?
1: Yeah, I think Sutton is probably the one uh, most likely to get moved. So there are reports that Sutton was nearly traded to the Baltimore Ravens this past offseason and the Broncos pulled the plug. Um, Ever since he tore his ACL in 2020, he's just kind of been like average. I mean, he's just kind of felt like an average receiver who just so happens to be six foot four, 210 pounds. He's got, I think, two more years left on his deal. I mean, he's he's fine. Like he's nothing special. Jerry Judy's way more talented and he's also three years younger. So I think if one of those receivers gets moved, it'll be Sutton probably for a fourth or fifth round pick to someone like the Ravens or maybe the Buffalo Bills or maybe even a team like the 49ers just to buy like a half year rental. The Judy situation is kind of interesting because he's never hit a stride, but we've seen how lethal he can be. I mean, he's one of the best route runners in the NFL. He had uh, over a 1,000 scrimmage yards last year playing in the 32nd ranked offense. So Judy has some potential, but I think he's kind of like at his wits end here because he's just fed up with the bad offensive coaching, the, the uh, inconsistent quarterback play. So I, I think he wants to go somewhere where he could be featured. Carolina, maybe. But um, to speak on Marvin Mims for a second, Marvin Mims feels like Sean Payton's new Brandon Cooks. Um, they profile the same way. Marvin Mims, I mean, every time he touches the ball, he's been incredibly explosive. I I, I read a statistic that the Broncos' um, return game numbers, punt and kick returns are tops in the NFL, and Marvin Mims is the primary returner. Um, and that's saying something, because our special teams have have stunk it up the past, I don't know how many years. So uh, Marvin Mims should be the focal point. I think he should touch the ball more. Um, I do think he would make a nice one-two punch with Jerry Judy. But, I mean, I mean Sutton, a lot of the fan base, we're kind of over him, like, I think we'd rather get a, a mid late round pick back, save fourteen million dollars on the cap space in twenty twenty four and you know, go from there.
2: I just cannot understand Marvin Mim's snap count. It makes no oh, sense to I me. Here's a I guy, I believe he's leading the league in yards per route run. And, and and that's continued as the sample size has grown. I think he leads the team in receiving, maybe even receiving yards. Last time I looked, uh we're kind of dealing with the same thing here with Rasheed Rice. I yeah. think Coaches, a lot of old school coaches are notoriously stubborn about players knowing their entire playbook front and back before they can get in there. And what are they playing? Some guy named Brandon Johnson. I've never heard heard of before,
1: right? He's he's not bad. He's fun fact. He's cousins with Chad Ochocinco. I didn't know that. Um, oh, wow. He's caught three scores this year and uh, he actually looks half decent. He looks like a good uh, fourth-ish option in the offense. Maybe next year when this offense gets retooled a little bit at the wide receiver position. But uh, I also Austin, think- basically. Yeah, perhaps. Um, I also think with the older coaches, a lot of them are- they tend to overthink things, uh, specifically Reed and Peyton. They're two of the best offensive minds of this generation. So I think maybe at times they're too smart for their own good. Like Marvin Mims, what, six yards per route run, just something absurd. Like, put him in the game. Put him in the game. It, like, that's it. Put him in the game. Let him run the routes.
2: Tell, have You think have Mike Marvin McDaniel Mims- would be uh, you oh know, sitting gosh. him on the sideline? No, he would not. No, Mark,
1: If Marvin Mims was on the Dolphins, he'd have 800 receiving yards already. <laughs> he would. He would. We don't
2: need to give them any more speed. Please. No, we, no need, we don't. We need, like, a. I don't know.
1: And they got Claypool, too, who can run, but he also can't really do much of anything else. He can else, run his mouth. That's about, <laughs> he can run his mouth. That's about it. That's about, about it. all he can do. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility
0: and design, the kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event. Now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus
1: dealer.
2: Well, you spoke about Russell Wilson earlier Uh and don't look now, but he's he's eighth among quarterbacks in EPA per play. He's second in completion percentage over expected. He's quietly been much better. What's behind that improved play in your
1: opinion? I will add this, just because I'm in Chiefs Kingdom. Russell Wilson has more touchdown passes, less interceptions, and a higher passer rating than Patrick LeVon Mahomes II. So I just felt like... Now, at the end of the day, do statistics always tell the full story? No. But Russell Wilson is on pace for, I think, 34 touchdowns and like 4,100 yards this year. It's I don't think it's a a mystery as to what makes Russell Wilson good last year. He was about 15 pounds heavier playing at about 230 pounds. He wanted to be a pure pocket passer and Nathaniel Hackett was, was too goofy to say, no, that's not who you are. So Peyton came in and one of the first things Peyton told Russ was, can I coach you hard or what he, what he asked Russ Russ was like, yeah. So Russell Wilson lost 15 pounds. The velocity on his throws looks insane. Uh, He's moving around a lot more. Um, It's a lot of scheming guys open. It's a lot of play action it's a lot of bootleg stuff. Russell Wilson has thrown probably five touchdown passes on the run this year. And Russell Wilson is also uh, close to the top in the NFL in yards per attempt. So this is kind of like the old school Russ we're getting to an extent, like big chunk plays, but we kind of stall out in the second half. So that's kind of why this offense doesn't really seem as good as the numbers may suggest. The second half, we kind of just poo-poo the bed. Um, But Russell Wilson is playing really good. And isn't it ironic that The first year we have good QB play. The first year since 2014, that last year, Peyton Manning was decent. Our defense is now not only the worst in the league, but literally one of the worst in NFL history up to this point. So we can't do anything right. Well, that
0: actually brings me into my next question, which the Broncos have the worst defense ever measured by DVOA through five games. What is going on, man? I mean, the Broncos defense was so so great for at least good for the past, I don't know, five years. I understand Mm -hmm. You know, they haven't always been the best. They've at least been pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. But this is a debacle. What the hell has
1: happened? So as you guys know, I mean, we've played each other obviously twice a year forever. Um, Our defenses, if nothing else, have at times given the Chiefs fits, even in Arrowhead. So the issue with the defense kind of is the issue with the whole roster is that we've had, I think, what, four head coaches since 2018, and each head coach usually gets a say in terms of what kind of players they would want for their roster, right? So you kind of have like the island of misfit toys on the defense. Um, you also have a talent deficiency on defense. We replace Ronald Darby, who is an excellent cover corner, with Damari Mathis, who I think is graded out as the 109th best cornerback in football, according to PFF. And there's only 109 cornerbacks that get graded, apparently. We replace Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb with Ideally, it was supposed to be Frank Clark and Randy Gregory. Frank Clark is going to get traded soon. Randy Gregory was traded. That was a huge bust of a signing. There is a big talent deficiency in the front seven. Our defensive line gets no push. Uh, the edge rushers have been decent. Um, I can speak on Nick Benito and Jonathan Cooper um, a little bit later, uh, but the secondary outside of Patrick Sertan is just kind of, eh, it's nothing. It's just limp. Kwan Williams has been out, our talented slot cornerback. Justin Simmons has been okay. He's usually a top safety. Damari Mathis, he just flat out sucks. I'm sorry. Damari Mathis uh, needs to go play in the CFL. Um, Inside linebackers are are competent, but it's a talent issue. And then there's also Vance Joseph running some Vic Fangio stuff and also running some Vance Joseph stuff. So you see a lot of the soft shell coverage. You see a lot of our quarterbacks uh, giving a lot of cushion. We, We need to play more man in coverage, but we don't have the juice up front to get to the quarterback. So at some point, the defensive backs cannot keep up if the pass rush cannot get home and vice versa, right? If the pass rush can't get home or if the secondary can't cover, it's all it's all connected, right? So that's sort of been uh, the issue with the defense. Vance Joseph was also never really that great of a defensive coordinator. Sean Payton seemed pretty set on getting a veteran defensive guy in there, like someone who had head coach experience before. They interviewed Rex Ryan for the job. I don't know if you guys remember that. I think Peyton was maybe afraid of doing the first time DC again. Um, It's just, it's a mess. It's a talent deficiency. It's a scheme deficiency. The coaching isn't that great, but I I didn't envision this much of a fall off. I mean, we went from a top 10 unit in 2022 to, I saw a a statistic today. I think we have the second most points per game given up on defense since the 1950 Baltimore Colts. Like it's, it's bad. It's historically bad. You take out the 70 spot. Take that out. It's yeah. still a
0: hundred and eleven points given up in five games. Even if the Dolphins scored zero they're mm-hmm. giving up close to 30 points a game. That is how bad the Broncos defense has been. I wanted to touch on Justin Simmons that you brought it up. I mean, he has been so good for, for mm-hmm. a decent amount of time in the secondary at safety. What has happened? Is he just fallen off? Has this been a gradual decline? Is it just still the name recognition? Cause Justin Simmons in my eyes was always one of the more underrated secondary pieces in the NFL.
1: Yeah. Um, he turns 30 this year. So I think age can, can be a thing. Um, he also had this like crazy streak for three years where he didn't miss a single defensive snap so i think that like mid-career of never coming off the field you know has probably sprung a bit of a decline he missed five games last year because of a hip uh, i think he was a, a hip or lower body injury and he's missed already missed a couple games this year so i do think there is a physical decline and a decline on the field i mean justin simmons is still one of the better safeties in the nfl um but he's probably going to be wearing uh uh, Philadelphia Eagles jersey here soon. I think that's where we end up shipping him because Howie Roseman is a wizard. He's just going to make one of those crazy moves that every other GM rolls their eyes at. But yeah, I think you'd be, Justin Simmons, he's a great guy. You know, he's been with the team every year um, since Peyton Manning retired. So he had one winning season in 2016 when uh, Trevor Simeon shocked the world for a little bit. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's getting up there in age. His body, I think, is declining a little bit. So I think now is the, the time to trade him for a, a third round pick, save... 14, 15 million on the cap number next year, and just kind of, you know, restart that unit with a younger guy and hopefully build around Patrick Sertan.
2: I want to touch back on Vance Joseph because, for the life of me, I can't understand from his perspective or the organizational standpoint why a failed marriage in the past from a head coach who was in Denver, why either party. Would want to go down that road again it makes zero sense to me
1: so there so i'll i, I think the answer for that is because this new walmart ownership group um it, it seemed like it, it was very widely pushed that oh we have a walmart contingent buying the broncos they're flush with cash um and Peyton even talked about how ownership is important in him you know as a head coach so i think vance joseph saw the opportunity with the fresh ownership group um, kind of like new beginnings, you know. I guess like a no hard feelings type of thing. But I, I do think the the, the new uh, Walton Penner family ownership group had something to do with that. If you guys remember last year, this ownership group they more or less authorized the Broncos to replace their turf for the one final regular season game against the Chargers because the field conditions weren't good. Apparently, I think it cost four hundred thousand dollars that um, I think Greg Penner, our CEO, authorized. Um, just to replace the, the, the field turf for one game. So the, the Broncos ownership group has proven already to be very proactive. We had the, exactly. Yeah. The stadium renovations, we're probably going to have new jerseys next year with the old school D logo, um, instead of this weird looking horse that we've had since the, the, the late nineties. Um, but I, I do think always
2: portrait, man, always, you know can,
1: what? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the ownership group was a big part in Vance of saying, You know, new look Broncos, new head coach, new ownership group, new quarterback, you know, 40 new players on the roster for when he was the head coach. So that's sort of why I think he ended up choosing Denver.
2: You hit on this before, but who are a few X factors from the Broncos roster that Chiefs fans might be sleeping on?
1: Yeah, so. I think when you had me on back in September, I had mentioned Jonathan Cooper and Nick Benito as being some breakout guys and um, humble brag. Um, It looks like I'm right to a degree so far. Nick Benito, I think is third in the NFL with five and a half sacks. Jonathan Cooper, I believe has three and a half combined. They're on pace for over 25 sacks as a duo. I'm not, I'm not sure how Donovan Smith and Juwan Taylor have done thus far, but um, if they're kind of shaky, Maybe Cooper and Benito can can have a bit of a day. I know Mahomes doesn't usually take a lot of sacks, but those two young edge rushers, I think they're both under 24 years old, um, have been a lone bright spot for the defense. Now, you know, sacks with a defense ranking 32nd, like how much do those sacks even mean? But I mean, Nick Benito looks marvelously better than he did last year. So I think Broncos might have a nice young edge rusher on their hands. And then offensively, our uh, undrafted rookie free agent running back, Jaleel McLaughlin, He's averaging over seven yards a carry on the ground. He's already scored three touchdowns. He's another X factor on offense. I would argue that he's probably, he should be viewed as RB2. In fact, I'd even say Samaj P. Ryan has has outplayed Javante Williams this year. So I think P. Ryan and, and McLaughlin, to me, feel like a more encouraging more encouraging running backs for the Broncos and Javante Williams is as, as weird as that might sound. Um, but McLaughlin is one to keep an eye out for tomorrow. And then we have Cooper and Benito off the edge as well.
2: Well, McLaughlin is a smaller guy, right? And I think we're seeing Five, a trend of that uh, kind yep. of led, led by Devon Han. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit more about him. Is it, Does he just have a little bit more dynamism uh, as a receiver? Why is he really popping for this offense?
1: Uh, It it almost just kind of, it's almost kind of like reminiscent of Philip Lindsay shocking the NFL for a couple of years running for a thousand yards as a rookie. Like they're just, they're small. Yes. But they're, they're so fast and shifty. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm also five foot eight, 165 pounds. And I've always sort of been in that mode of like just being fast. So sometimes you just don't really realize like how fast they are when they touch the ball. Um, And you also, to an extent, shouldn't pay attention to like them being undrafted like just because they were a seventh round pick or undrafted doesn't mean that because nfl teams miss on draft picks all the time i mean my goodness tony roma was undrafted chris harris jr was undrafted i'm sure chiefs have plenty of players in their franchise history that ended up being studs that were undrafted he's, he's just shifty i mean that's that's really that he hits the hole really quickly and he he bar it it feels like philip Lindsay all over again it really does
0: as far as your score prediction Did the Broncos finally break? I'm just going to show you this ball right here. It says World Series 2015. Uh, It's Kansas City Royals. That's when the Royals won the World Series. Now, if you are a Royals fan, you have been marred with 100 season losses perpetually pretty much since then. That feels like eons ago. Yet, that was the last time the Broncos beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay. So, tomorrow on Thursday – did the Broncos get it done? What is your score prediction?
1: I said I would. I would eat my shoes if the Broncos beat the Chiefs tomorrow. Um, I want to believe. I think we could keep it close for a quarter or two. Um, but no, I think I said like something like thirty-eight twenty-one to put what it kind in of shoes. By the way,
0: what, what kind
1: of shoes? Do you geez, I have a lot. Just a pair I don't wear anymore. I uh, like a big, like them. a big Timberland or you know a Red Wing, some kind of boot. I am not bougie like that. I don't have the bougie boots. Um, I can find an old tennis shoe, boil it, and then eat it. And then you guys can have me back on on AA, and you can we can live stream. Um, but we're not going to do that.
2: You're you're in enough pain already. So
1: to give you guys some perspective, real quick. So um, the last time the Broncos beat the Chiefs, I was a senior in high school, and now I teach high schoolers for a living. So it's kind of like it's. A, it's bad. I, re- I actually remember the last time we beat the Chiefs, I was driving home from my first ever job at Pizza Hut. I had it on the radio. I think it was Bradley Roby had picked up that, that that fumble and returned it in the final seconds. I think I want to say that was the last time that we beat the Chiefs. And I, I remember that vividly. Um, I hold on to it because I think we sold our souls for that Super Bowl. Um, I want to say that, yeah, the Broncos can shock the world and it could be a trap game, but it's not going to happen. 38-21 KC, I think. I feel bad for you, man. Like I feel bad and, for me,
0: too. I know as rivals, we're supposed to rip on each other and do all that stuff and mm-hmm. have all this bravado, but it, it is more fun when it's a little back and forth to an extent, right? It, it, it makes the it rivalry that much greater because right now, this is just utter domination, and, and right now, I, I'm feeling bad for you, Lou.
1: Yeah, I, as weird as it is – as as much of a disaster as as Nathaniel Hackett was, and the Broncos were last year, both of our games against you guys were really close and really fun. Um, that made me think that maybe we could steal one against y'all this year with Sean Payton, but because Payton decided to hire Vance Joseph and not Rex Ryan or whoever else, I think it'll end up being a blowout. I mean, maybe they can shock the. The, the weirdest thing would be if the Broncos spin off three straight wins and we're four and four at the bye week, and like, what what does the team do? Like, if we get the four and four, at the, what do we do? Because I don't, that would be the most confusing stretch of three games. And it would be very on brand for the Broncos to just figure it out and win three in a row into the bye week and make it interesting. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I I, I think Casey's going to win tomorrow night.
2: The only thing I'm going to add about that, is Vance Joseph was the defensive coordinator for the Cardinals in opening week last year? And mm-hmm. the Chiefs absolutely lit him up. I mean, it felt like they could have scored hundred points that game. Thanks for that, coming Adam coming I'm actually, right, actually right out that. of the gate. So I don't know if that makes you feel better, but
0: it maybe does. let's
2: just dial down expectations. So you only have up to go from here. Uh Lou, thank you so much for being on with us. I'm sure you'll be back. This rivalry mm-hmm. is not going anywhere. It's uh, not. I, I would love to see it be a rivalry again, but I don't feel as sorry for you. I mean, I do feel sorry for you, but I don't feel sorry for the Broncos in general because really Mike Shanahan ruined my childhood. I'm a little bit older. Uh, <laughs> I just have to put that out there. El- Elway and Shanahan yeah. and Terrell Davis and all them yeah, TD. Uh, conspired to to make me miserable. And uh, uh, those those Marty, Derek Thomas, and, and you guys also stole Neil Smith, who was my favorite player yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. as a
2: kid. So it, there was some serious pain. So I know what you're going through, man. But uh, good luck tomorrow night, and thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me on, fellas. Absolutely. I find it interesting because he said 38-21 Chiefs, and I feel like a lot of Chiefs fans right now are thinking it's going to be a close game because it's the Broncos. It's always close against the Broncos. I feel like if you poll Broncos fans – they're sitting here going chiefs win by 20. You pull chiefs fans and chiefs fans are sitting here going, yeah, maybe chiefs by three chiefs by seven. It's very funny how you pull the opposite fan base. You're almost less confident just based on the nature of the AFC West just battle.
2: Well, when you've beat a team 15 straight times, it just, it gets more difficult each time because the other team is so sick of it. And I just think it's a difficult situation to be in. It's a great situation to be in. It's, almost a hysterical situation to be in. I mean, they're closing in on the Patriots record with, with, I believe the jets. I don't know exactly what that was, but it's, I want to say 20 games or something like that. So 21 games, it is within reach. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's take care of business Thursday night. We got Nick the stick back. This is the last game before Charles and mini uh comes back. So we're about to have a fully operational Death Star on defense. I'm pretty excited. You know what else I'm excited about? Take a wild guess.
0: Hmm. I don't know. Shamrock Shake? You got you to gotta wait a while, but maybe a Shamrock Shake?
2: That was the most random thing you possibly could have chosen. We're like six months away from Shamrock Shakes being a thing. I don't think I've had one of those since I was like 11. A McRib? Uh, what, a, what a pull. What a pull. No, I'm excited <laughs> about Hot Take Kingdom. And this week's Hot Take Kingdom is a little bit of a flip-flop for me and maybe us. The Chiefs should re-sign cornerback Swiss Army Knife, Legarius Sneed. Welcome to the kingdom. So we've talked about this many, many times, but assembling a cheap secondary that performs has sort of been the organization's special sauce. Brett Beach. And CapWiz, Brant us deserve a ton of credit there, no matter where they go from here. My issue is that unless we are worried about helping Clark Hunt save money, I personally am not, the team can stand to get a little more aggressive. Over the Mahomes era, the Chiefs are 24th in cash over cap spending. That means they are well below the median when it comes to taking advantage of accounting tricks that are becoming more and more popular every year across the league. So... I think there is a world where they can afford to bring back Legere Sneed. It's just a matter of if the will is there or not. So why would they want to break their own team building model to do this? Well, if you look at this year's defense, past defense in particular, it is elite. They are ranked 10th in past DVOA. And that includes a game where Chris Jones wasn't around. Charles, many hasn't been around. So they've been doing that with a bit of a depleted pass rush. They are third in drop-back success rate and fifth in drop-back EPA. Spag's defenses, they don't peak early. They peak late. So my guess is this is only going to get better, and it's way ahead of schedules. Now, if you look at the five-star wideouts they've played over the course of their first five games, they've all had their least efficient games of the season, each one of them. Amon Ross St. Brown, Calvin Ridley, DJ Moore, Garrett Wilson, and most of all, Justin Jefferson. So McDuffie is the team's best corner, but Snead is bigger and more physical, which makes him the better press corner. And that's what allows him to excel in press. And we've seen him not just set the tone by getting physical, but, you know, he's getting kind of feisty with the Ridleys and the Jeffersons out there. I think I've really appreciated the way he's kind of gotten their head and let them know that, you know, I'm going to be here all day long. This is going to be a fight. I'm not going anywhere. And there's something about Snead that simply gives those guys fits. And when you have a corner like that, that can go toe to toe with the best receivers in the league and kind of get them to perform worse than average, I think there's something to that. And McDuffie playing the nickel has allowed us to see more of that. And I just think Snead has matured He's a smarter player than he's been. You know, he's, he's had enough time in the league to kind of have some veteran tricks. A top five pair of corners in their prime with an elite defensive coordinator, that is potent stuff. So remember, not every corner excels in press coverage. Spags ask a lot of these dudes. And I think they could especially use this back-end dominance if the team decides Chris Jones, they're not uh, comfortable with his age cliff. He's too expensive and they have to let him go. Well, if our pass rush isn't as formidable next year, we're going to need a better secondary. So, and also if, if Jones goes, the team has transitioned from really when they had Frank Clark here, they were the most expensive defensive line in the league. Next year, if Chris Jones is no longer here, I, I kind of hope he is, but if he's gone with these rookies, a mini on a cheap deal, they'll probably draft someone else. they will be one of the cheapest defensive lines in the league. So that is something to consider. It's Stung letting Traverius Ward go. I think he's a top 15 corner. I think you agree with that, that he's top 15-ish at worst, maybe top 12, maybe even top 10 when he's on his game. But Snead is actually, I think, a more versatile player, even than Traverius Ward. Probably even, I don't know, he and McDuffie are close, but again, he just has the size that Trent McDuffie doesn't have, so they are a quality pairing. Lastly, Patrick Mahomes name drop steed as a guy he wanted the team to keep around and he's the he's the guy that's giving the organization a little bit of a discount so i think he probably has some say in that uh anyway you've heard my case sterling are you coming into the castle or are you staying outside the walls
0: so, a couple things I see in the chat that I want to get to that that I think are interesting. One, Evan Miller says, does a sneed injury history and aggressive play style give you pause? It does a little bit, okay? And the second thing I've seen is a lot of people saying, sure, but on a team-friendly contract. I'm going to go ahead and say, come on, players don't sign team-friendly deals. That's, that is incredibly rare. Chris Jones ain't signing no team-friendly deal. You know, players throughout the NFL have shown time and time again, They want to make as much money in a short amount of time as humanly possible. Team-friendly deals just seemingly aren't realistic. Now, in regards to what he's actually going to get paid, that's another story. The fact that Legereus Sneed is so versatile actually hurts his case. Okay? It actually hurts his case. The reason why Chevarius Ward got so much money, he's a strictly outside corner That's what he does. He's not a slot corner. Slot corners get paid way, way less. It's the nature of the game. It's bad for Sneed, good for the Chiefs. A couple other names just I'm going to throw out here. I'm on spot track right now. The average annual market value for Legereus Sneed is $7.4 million per year. Now, you might might believe that's crazy low. I think it's personally low. But if you look at some of the other contracts uh, of similar style players, here's what they are. DJ Reed, three years, $33 million, But guess when he signed that contract? 25 years old. Uh, Shaquille G- uh, Griffin, he signed a three-year, $40 million contract. Guess how old he was when he signed? 25 years old. LeGarrius is going to be 27. You look around the NFL, how many teams are going to pay top dollar for a, you know, he's not strictly an outside corner. Can we trust him on an island game in and game out for a 27-year-old? That's going to be tough. So I think this actually helps Kansas City. Now, I understand his agent is going to say, hey, you're going to be 27. This might be your only chance at a big-time contract. You're not taking anything less than what – know. you you're going to pinch every single penny here. I wonder if their agent and and, and Sneed take that route because they are going to be hitting the market two years older than normal. I'm with you here. Chris Jones comes first, but I don't think his contract is also going to be quite as extreme as a lot of people might think it's going to be.
2: Yeah, those are interesting points. And I do think potentially, even though he's playing like an outside corner right now, he's playing like a Traverius Ward. But his reputation is he's a slot corner.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that that, like you said, it could hurt him a little bit. The knee does give me pause, but he's been able to play every game this season. If he came out and he was sitting every third or fourth game and he wasn't able to practice ever and this thing was just a Juju Smith-Schuster-type ticking time bomb, I might feel differently. But I don't think we're in that, in that kind of scenario here with uh, Legarius.
0: And I'll also say, I mean, the Chiefs done such a good job drafting and developing talent in the secondary. It, it makes you think, all right, as much as we like LeJarius' need – Can they do it again? They've shown time and time again they can. Now, eventually, you're probably thinking that luck, skill, uh, whatever it is, eventually might run out. But is this the time? Because Legereus Sneed at one point was that unheralded guy, a fourth rounder from uh, Louisiana Tech. Was he going to be a safety? Was he going to be a corner? The Chiefs didn't really know. The Chiefs did it with Charvarius, an undrafted guy. They traded for Parker Anger, right? And they turned him into what was, or at least scouted, helped develop into a top 15 corner. They've Mm -hmm. done the same thing with Legarius Sneed. What makes them think they can't do it again? They got valuable play out of a six-rounder in Rashad Fenton. They have a superstar first-rounder in Trent McDuffie. They have uh, very good cornerbacks in fourth-rounder Joshua Williams and seventh-rounder Jalen Watson. At some point, this is what they excel at. Do they spend money on a wide receiver and keep trying to develop the cornerback position? You know I think it's a very interesting conversation to have. I will go with you into the kingdom just because I don't think Snead's contract is going to be extreme. But if you start getting into the 10, 11, $12 million per year for him, I think I'm going to have to walk out.
2: Well, that's what happened with Ward. I think maybe if he was around 10 million a year, they, they would have brought him back. But what did he end up being like 13 million a year or something like that. And they just couldn't stomach that given the way that I don't know if you give more credit to Veach and the personnel department, or Steve Spagnolo and defensive backs coach Dave Merritt. But the entire effort there to kind of pluck these unsung prospects and turn them into quality press corners uh, is pretty impressive. You almost wish that Trevarius Chivari- Ward didn't, hasn't been doing so well in San Francisco because. You could make the case with a system like Spagnolo's. Well, they look good in Kansas City, but are they going to look good elsewhere?
0: Yeah. And at uh, least with Ward, looks, that's true. <laughs> well, he also went to St. Fran, which is also known right, for right. developing, identifying, and having a great defense. I love Evan's comment right here. Can we rent a room in the kingdom? And when the price gets too high, can we check out? <laughs> that's kind of where mm-hmm. I'm at. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I I mean, if he was 30, I think probably you could do that. A guy his age, you know, this isn't Patrick Peterson, a vet, or Stefan Gilmore, uh, a vet that's kind of taking things year by year and, you know, trying to keep getting those checks, maybe chase a ring. He's still got a lot left in the tank, obviously. I think this is arguably his his best year. I'm a little confused by his PFF grade. They usually do a good job with corners, but
0: with him, it's just completely completely off right what i'll also say too is i want to bring it up cuz he's going to be 27 i really hope he has a good agent for his sake because again this is he is going to be hitting the free agent market later than the majority of of people at his position uh, especially not being a first rounder right he didn't have that fifth year this is only 4 years he was an older cornerback coming into the nfl it's going to come down to teams will hold that against him, most likely, while he's going to say this is probably my last only opportunity at a big extended year contract. It's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. It's going to come down to his agent, I think, more than anything else.
2: Right. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the DiCaprio rule, though. He's he's over that line. Veach likes him 26 or younger on those second contracts. so That is an interesting tidbit here. Angry, drucken German. Best might be able to play corner behind that pass rush. Man, if you saw the MRIs of my uh, my knees, you would not be so confident making that statement.
0: Yeah. Just, just going to put that out there. What about me? Do you think I could? I'm probably getting mossed. I got a good vertical, but I'm only 5'10". I will say Amik Robertson, the uh, cornerback for Vegas, went up and got that ball uh, against Christian Watson to end that game. I mean, that dude's vertical, he got 40 inches off the ground. Easy. That that was Allen Iverson esque. It was absurd. That guy can probably 360, I'm guessing. Easy. Christian,
2: Christian Watson, man, you're 6'4. Don't don't pull a Marquez Valdez scantling and you know, you gotta go up and get that thing, man. You gotta go up and dunk on that little dude.
0: I will say, did you like seeing Marcus Peters create a turnover? Because I was happy. I like seeing Marcus Peters succeed as long as it's not against Kansas City. I've always held a soft spot in my heart for Marcus. Um, and watching yeah, me him too, but the watch- silver and black—I uh, yeah, don't totally. know. Man. But watching him create that turnover, just seeing how excited he was—he, I will say, if there ever was a player to be a Raider, it's Marcus oh, Peters. Oh yeah,
2: if there's ever a Chief who just felt like, yeah, your personal your personality is a little bit more Raider than it is Chief. I think it was Marcus. Let's move on to our next segment the crowd pleasing Casey stock market. You ready to do this?
0: Let's do it, baby. Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. It's a wazzy, it's a woozy, it's a fairy dust. Tell me the difference between stupid and illegal, and
2: I'll have my wife's brother arrested. (laughs) So, we brought up Isaiah Pacheco a few weeks ago in this segment. And we kind of debated who the best Chiefs running back was. Well, since then, he's risen to second among running backs, all running backs league-wide in rushing yards over expected. Literally, the only player uh, that's higher than him is Devon Achan. I'm not even sure Devon Achan's human. You know, he's, I don't know, that guy's from a different planet. So I'm saying Pacheco is the most improved player on the roster, pump or dump.
0: Dump. It's an easy dump for me. I think Pacheco has been a really good player this year. I've been very impressed with Isaiah Pacheco, but I have multiple guys that I put above him. Tripp McDuffie is the first one that comes to mind. Uh, second one, I'd probably say George Karloftis. Um I think Karloftis is probably making a case for being the second most. And maybe I'm a little blinded by the positional value as well, right? Defensive end, um, you know, cornerback a little bit more. Premier position than running back. I like Pacheco, but I wouldn't go as far to say that he's the most improved player on the roster. That has to be, at least in my case, McDuffie and Karloftis for sure above him.
2: Yeah. uh, There are some things that really impressed me about Karloftis, but then I look at his pass rush win rate and I kind of look at how late he tends to win and I'm, uh, you know, um, with McDuffie, I thought he was good from the jump. The thing with Pacheco, I actually think we overrated him a little bit last year just because he runs so hard. He's such a likable kid. He just has so much excitement and he just plays his guts out. But he's turned, you know, he's not just an energetic bull in a china shop anymore. If you look at some of these stats, he went from 29th in yards after contact last year to 7th this year. He's gone from 40th in missed tackles forced last year. Now he's 9th. So, what I think has happened with Pacheco, he was a guy in college at Rutgers who played behind an abysmal offensive line in a a bad system. And when you're running right into walls every down, you don't get to develop some of these intangibles. You don't have vision, patience, all these other things. Give him a year with Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, and the boys in a read system with, with Patrick Mahomes, keeping the defense from stacking the box. And he's getting a much better feel for the game. He's getting a much better feel for the game. And then when you look at his yards per route run, he's gone as a receiver, he's gone from 0.88 yards per route run to 1.24 this season. So he's getting better there too. I'm going to give this a light pump because there's so many people in consideration for it. But I just think he's made such a big jump in so many places. And he feels like he's verging on being a complete back. And when you look at rushing yards over expected and he's, he's higher than Nick Chubb was when Nick Chubb went out, that that's impressive to me.
0: Yeah. Uh, really quickly, since you said stacking the box, everyone listening right now, I did a really cool uh, interview on stacking the box, the NFL podcast. I do here with fans cited, and I had a chance to sit down and talk with Amon Ross St. Brown. If you want to check that out, go to stacking the box uh, on YouTube. I really had a great time talking with Amon Ra. Um, Spoke a little German to him as well because he speaks th- uh, three languages. I mean, I, he is a very interesting cat. I mean, that guy's awesome. Very, the very sun god. Yeah, dude. I'm a huge, huge Amon Ra fan. Very fun. Very entertained. But a very smart guy. So, if you want to check out the interview, go to Stack in the Box on the YouTube page, YouTube page after you listen to uh, the Airhead podcast right now. The link is in the chat according to Richard. Thank you, Richard. Uh, next pumper dump. 49ers, not the Chiefs, should be considered the clear Super Bowl favorites. Pumper dump. It's a light dump.
2: They've built a super team over there, but to quote Ric Flair, "To, to be the man, you have to beat the man. I think betting against Patrick Mahomes when we've seen him basically win a Super Bowl every other year during his tenure in Kansas City is sort of foolish now I'm not taking anything away from the 49ers, but they also play in the NFC. And I, I think there's something fascinating about what the 49ers have done. Remember when they acquired Trey Lance, they burned three first round picks doing that. And they still have the best roster in the NFC. How bad are some of these other organizations, you know, that, that they can just waste. They can completely punt three first round picks and still be the best team in the NFC and, possibly the best team in the NFL, definitely a top five team. Uh, I think Brock Purdy is a really good quarterback, but if you put Brock Purdy versus Patrick Mahomes or maybe not even Patrick Mahomes against Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, uh, Jalen hurts in a playoff situation, I just trust those guys to get a bucket when you need a bucket more than I do Brock Purdy. So I'm gonna kind of dock them a little bit for Purdy.
0: Dude, this pains me. It pains me. Because I had the exact same argument like four weeks ago. I said, Yeah, but Mahomes versus Purdy, it's over. Dude, I'm pumping. Mahomes is much more talented than Brock Purdy. I'm not denying that, but I look at some of the more underlying numbers of Brock Purdy we, we heard Ryan Fitzpatrick talk about this as well like you start getting to more analytical numbers not just like the the eye test stuff he is so damn efficient he processes so well I'm starting to get this argument of where I used to be on the other side and now I'm coming on to the Brock Purdy is actually a really solid quarterback argument I always said you can put almost any quarterback in San Fran they'll succeed to an extent they will Brock Purdy's taking this to another level the closest game they've played in this year was a seven point win over the Rams and the Rams scored at the very end that was a 14 point game they are they are just destroying teams and again Brock Purdy hasn't been forced to do a whole bunch of stuff and maybe you can make the case that until he's forced to be the guy in a big moment you know you'll take Kansas City and again I, I I'm not saying the Chiefs would would automatically lose I'm just saying at this point five weeks into the season, what the 49ers have done has been unreal. It's like Alabama playing an FCS team. I mean, this honestly has been crazy. So as of right now, I am, I am pumping on the 49ers.
2: You're pretty pilled, man. I, I don't want to sound like I'm being too hard on him. I see that he's first in EPA per play, right? And that is Jimmy Garoppolo was always top 10, sometimes top five. Tua Viola, I mean, he's very high, too. So some of it gets accredited to the system, especially sure. when you're surrounded best left tackle, top five at worst tight end. Better than that when you consider blocking. Brandon Ayuk might be the most underrated player in the NFL. I mean, he is – I think he's an alpha. I think he's better than Debo Samuel, who, who yep. is a monster himself. That is just unreal talent to surround yourself with, and it's very scary uh, maybe we'll have a rematch of Super Bowl Fifty Four.
0: Yeah, I mean, as of right now, that's the way I'd probably go about it. I mean, the Eagles look good, but they've struggled a little bit. I mean, I know they're five and zero, so at the end of the day, that's what you're supposed to do: win ball games. But the Niners have just won so convincingly. Um, that Cowboys yeah.
2: game, I mean that that did scare me. I did not did not expect that.
0: Yeah, it was just I mean, a and, severe and, 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 beating. We'll see. Again, the Niners have so many weapons and while Brock Purdy doesn't have the strongest arm or the, or the most accurate arm, all that stuff, he's not, you know, the most uh, mobile back there. When you process reads as quickly as he does, and when you have as many weapons as the 49ers have, someone is going to get open and he will find that someone. That is what makes him so, so dangerous.
2: Yeah, he's Shanahan's surgeon out there with a supercomputer. He's the perfect quarterback for this system, perhaps. Let's move on to another interesting topic. I hate to kind of speculate on Travis Kelsey's age and up and down health, but I am a little worried that father time is starting to creep up on him. So, that being said, we're saying Noah Gray is probably more important to this team's success. Than we think. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, pump pump? pump. pump. And I, I think Travis Kelsey, or no Travis Kelsey, when he's on the field as well. Um, 12 personnel I've been clamoring for more of it they're they're so impactful together on the field with the wide receivers either struggling or Mahomes not trusting them you saw it against the Jets right against the Jets Travis Kelce in the field you saw Noah Gray that opened up the entire playbook easy touchdown for Noah uh you know earlier on in the season I want to say it was against the Jaguars offense was struggling They they ran 13 personnel and what happened it was a uh Huge pass interference call against the defense against Justin Watson. The Chiefs are very effective with Noah Gray on the field with Travis Kelsey. But without Travis Kelsey, if he is going to have a little more injuries uh, as the season goes on, then yes, Noah Gray becomes even that much more important. Uh, I think Noah Gray is one of the more underrated storylines of this year. What his outlook looks like, what his performance looks like, is going to determine what his career actually looks like in Kansas City going forward. If they trust him to continuously be the the next in line, or if he's only going to be a second tight end on this roster, that still remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, I think Noah Gray is extremely important and more important than a lot of people think I am pumping this one.
2: I'm pumping too. Not the biggest pump of all time, but I'm definitely pumping, you know, uh, tied to end progression is a slow burn. So the fact that he's just kind of incrementally improved every year and he's, he's what three years in, I think uh, I'm not concerned that he's not blowing our hair back at this point because he's a solid player He keeps getting better. The guy doesn't seem to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. When I rewatch these games, I see a lot of guys goof up. I do not see Noah Gray making mistakes. I see he he feels like he's the right time. He's at the right time at the right place. Mahomes trusts him, right? Mahomes is the the Brock Purdy of tight ends. Maybe he is the Brock Purdy of tight ends. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm, I'm a fan. Are you concerned at all with the injuries of Travis Kelsey? Because part of me says, all right, a couple lower body injuries to an aging tight end. All right. That gives me some cause to pause. On the other end, I'm sitting here going, yeah, but this last one was on turf. You know, if that was on grass, do you think that his foot just completely slips, just goes to the grass? He's completely fine. Like part of me uh, doesn't know how to judge especially the second injury to Travis Kelsey. I almost want to chalk it up more to turf. Maybe that's me being a little bit of a homer or an optimistic man, if you will. But um, I don't know where you land on this whole Travis Kelsey and lower body injuries going forward.
2: Man, I freaked for a second because I thought it was his Achilles, but then I stepped back and I'm like, this guy has already given us more than we, you know, three, four times more than we could ever ask of anybody. So we know the end is coming at some time but he's also so tough, such a warrior. And every time I feel like football media starts to ask questions about him slowing down, he always silences the critics. I dug into this a little bit. His percentage of third and fourth down targets is down quite a bit. His team, uh, his percentage of team air yards is down, but I think that's more utilization than performance. His, uh, after the catch per, uh, per reception is actually better this year than it was last year by, by a little bit yards per route run are barely down. What I wish I had was uh, his, his GPS numbers. I want to see his speed. Cause to me, he does look a little bit slower, but what do you expect from a guy who uh, came out of the gate with a knee injury? Right. And now he's dealing with a little bit of a bum foot, He's basically like MacGyvering his lower body back together for every game. And this guy is incredibly so tough. And then he did make that circus catch that Vikings fans don't think was a catch, but it was definitely a catch. The, the second catch that was definitely a catch that they're in denial about because Justin Watson, also a catch right on the sideline.
0: Yeah, it's absurd. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. It's such a loser's thing, by the way. I get so tired. It's just such a loser's mentality to blame the refs. Yeah, no chance these Super Bowl champions are better than your one in four team. No, no, no. It had to be something to do with the refs, not the fact that it's been proven time and time again. Uh, just looking at the statistics this year, the Chiefs are one of the most penalized teams in the NFL. Um, you know, penalties have not necessarily helped Kansas City this entire season. No, no, no. Uh, throw that all out the window. It only matters if it's a penalty late in the game against. Into your team that's questionable of course it has to be some sort of collusion it's the most asinine absurd atrocious thought process i've ever thought in my entire life you used to make fun of people like that but now apparently they're getting airtime on these national uh, aggregate twitter accounts it's just so it makes me so angry man because it's just it's what losers do how many times have the chiefs lost on bad calls bad calls i'm not talking d ford d ford was a legitimate call Okay, I said from the get go, we got to get over that one. That was a legit call. Uh, The the Ford progress right against the Titans, bleeping sucks. But you don't see us two weeks later saying the Chiefs should have. You know all this nonsense about it. The Eric Fisher holding penalty against the Steelers, right? Like it happens to every team. Bad calls happen. Bad calls happen in the every single game. But if you just bitch and moan and say, you know, if that didn't happen, the Chiefs should won that. There's an asterisk. Come on, that is a loser's mentality.
2: Well, let's dig deeper into this conspiracy theory, because what's so crazy to me is, do you really think Roger Goodell is orchestrating this massive conspiracy under the noses of 31 egomaniac billionaire owners to prop up a small market team into his next dynasty? It makes zero sense. How could they possibly keep this quiet in the era of of rampant investigative Uh, journalism. I just don't, it it just, you know, I think it's blaming the refs and acting like there's some favoritism is easier than accepting the truth. And the truth is the chiefs have dominated the NFL for the past six years and they're not going anywhere and people get sick of them just like they got sick of the Patriots.
0: Yeah. Uh, Last one on pumper dump. McCole Harbin should be brought back via trade because he's cheap and knows Andy Reid's difficult system pumper dump.
2: This is one of the biggest dumps I've ever taken. You got to get out the plunger for this one. I, 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 am, I am a hardcore Noah McCall Hardman. What are we doing here? So,
0: What are we doing here?
2: First of all, Matt Nagy and Andy Reid do not need another middling receiver to throw into this mix. They're already playing too many guys to their own detriment. No continuity, no chemistry. They need to slim that rotation. They have to do it. If they don't do it by the bye, I'm going to lose my mind. Second of all, what does McCall Hardman have left? He's sitting behind the carcass of Randall Cobb on the Jets depth chart. They gave him pretty decent money. I mean, they gave him five or six million or something just to sit him. I mean, I, I don't think it's some speaking of conspiracy, some conspiracy not to play McCall Hardman. He's just not doing very well. We've already got a couple guys that are very similar to him. I actually think Kadarius Tony is more talented than him. His high, I've seen him do more things on a football field. Richie James, we forget about Richie James, your guy, Richie James, but he's still around. He'll be coming back, presumably at some spot. We don't need to do this. and, And the core injury, do we even know that he hasn't lost a step? Was that one of the reasons why Brett Veach said, "McCole, we love you, we appreciate your service, but good luck elsewhere.
0: It's almost like when your parents would say, you'd want food, like out, like at a takeout place. Your parents, like, we have food at home. The people that want McCall Hardman, it's like, yeah, we have a McCall Hardman already at home. You have McCall Hart or you have Kadarius Tony. You have Richie James, as you mentioned. There's a plethora of wide receiver threes um, already on this team. You're completely right. Why make it more convoluted than it needs to be? I like McCall Hardman. It's not against him personally. It's just I don't think he moves the needle. You're adding a, someone who already it seemed like struggled at times getting the same page with Mahomes, and that's his biggest selling point. Out. I like Hardman, but it was time to move on for both parties. Um, I hope he gets another opportunity to somewhere else, whether it's with the Titans, whether it's with um, – just just a different team in the NFL because obviously I think he's talented enough to get a spot. I think the Jets are stubborn that he's not fit in part of their plan. I think if Aaron Rodgers was there, maybe you would see him. But now you're not. Um, but I'm dumping this one with you.
2: Yeah, Tyreek still thinks he has some juice. I mean, he stood up for his, for his guy. Uh, I don't know if we're going to trade for a wide receiver, but... News also broke yesterday that Van Jefferson was on the block. The speedy receiver from the Rams, he was not on the market for more than a couple of hours before he got traded. So I think it speaks volumes that McCole Hardman is still sitting out there with the Jets, making it obvious that they want to make a deal. And probably all it would take is, hey, we'll give you, uh, we'll give you a sixth for a seventh, right?
0: It wouldn't take much. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it wouldn't take much. I hope he gets another opportunity somewhere. Somewhere, Maybe the Titans would be a perfect place. I think he will. I think he's shown enough in this league to, uh, to make it happen. But yeah, a reunion doesn't seem imminent to me.
0: No, it does not. It doesn't seem like it makes the most sense. No.
2: Well, that does it for today's show, guys. Big props to the chat. We appreciate you. Before you roll out, do us a huge favor by liking this video. And if you haven't subscribed to the channel, what are you doing? Please do that immediately. We're going to be pumping out more more and more content all the time. Uh, And if you're an audio listener on Apple Podcasts, please consider giving us a five-star rating. That really helps us reach a wider audience. We will be back next Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. Central right here on the Arrowhead Addict YouTube channel. Until then... Beat the Broncos. Go Chiefs.